Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In the gospel lesson this morning, beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus continues in his contests and his debates with the Pharisees and the Sadducees following his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The argument Jesus has this morning is a legal one. It is a legal and public debate between skilled and trained lawyers and Jesus himself. The question the lawyer raises this morning, which commandment is the greatest? Which is the greatest commandment in Jewish law? Now this question is no small one. It is the duty of the religious leader of Judaism to teach the law. For to be a faithful Jew is to follow the law. Central. All told, there are 613 laws in the Torah. There are 613 laws of Moses. 613 laws that must be followed and kept to be a faithful and righteous Jew. 248 positive ones, thou shalt. 365 negative ones, thou shalt not. So the existence of some 613 laws and precepts in the Torah presents in and of itself a very substantial problem for a person who understands these 613 laws to be God's will revealed, to be the will of the nation of Israel to be salvation, to be righteousness. 613 laws. How in the world can you ever keep track of all 613 laws? And the bigger question is, how do you know which law is more important than another? What law supersedes which law? Now, there are weighty laws, and we all know some of them. Thou shalt not kill Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And there are a lot of lighter laws like this from Deuteronomy. If you chance to come upon a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go. But the young you may take to yourself that it may go well with you and that you may live long. Weighty laws, lighter laws. But who gets to say which is which? Who gets to say that killing another human being is a weightier law than taking a mother bird? So it was extremely important to be duly and properly trained and versed in Jewish law before you were allowed to teach others. 
It was also very common for these lawyers and rabbis to sum up, if you will, the 613 laws of the Torah in ways that made it easier for the less educated to follow and to obey. People who did not have the time, the resources to memorize and order their life in a way that could easily follow all of them. Now, the rabbi Hillel, which I'm sure we're all aware of, or at least you are now, uh, Hillel, a great and famous teacher who taught just before the time of Jesus, very famous, and he summed up the law of Moses in this way. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah, while the rest of it is commentary. Go and learn it. So the confrontation with Jesus is really a test or a trial to see how Jesus would match up to great and popular Jewish teachers like the rabbi Hillel. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. Now really and truly the Sadducees and Pharisees are trying to catch and belittle Jesus. So this question to sum up the law into one sentence is meant to show Jesus as a fraud To show Jesus is someone who does not have a good grasp of the law and who is unorthodox. So they were trying to snare Jesus in asking him to sum up the law in a very public, structured debate. Now Jesus' answer to the lawyer is perfectly, completely orthodox and traditional. Jesus combines two positive commandments. Sounds much like the rabbi Hillel. You shall love the Lord your God from Deuteronomy, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus. Now, in combining these two commands, Jesus also does something original and groundbreaking. He advances the moral code. Jesus puts things together there that day in the temple in a public debate. He puts things together in a way that had yet to be done. Groundbreaking. Now, in popular Judaism, the idea... Was it everything, the world, if you will, hung on truth, on justice, and on peace? The world hung, was tethered by the laws of Moses, the 613 laws, by sacrificial acts in the temple and deeds of kindness. So Judaism, righteousness hung, founded on 613 laws, sacrifices made at the temple, And on being kind to others. Jesus restructures that which is most important. Jesus restructures that which tethers the earth to God. Jesus declares that everything hangs, is tethered by love. The world is tethered by love. Love of God, love of neighbor, love of self. Every single thing we as Christians do should therefore be done out of love for God, out of love for neighbor, out of love for self. So then what does that look like? One thing that always comes to my mind is a journey to faithful and sacrificial giving. I don't know why. I guess every three years this reading comes up in the fall when we're thinking about next year's budget. So giving naturally comes to mind. Um, But growing up, I've gone through many different ideas and perceptions about giving that make me think of this morning's gospel. My earliest, very earliest memory of giving was when I was was Thomas's age. And 
that memory revolved around the mic box. Now, for those of you who don't know, a mic box is a little bitty cardboard box that works kind of like a piggy bank. Now, the idea of the mic box, it has a picture of the widow putting her mite in the box in the temple. The mite box is for children mainly to collect change in paper money and give it to the poor and then turn the box in to a parish as a group. So most of these mite boxes programs are done during Lent. The boxes are taking up on Easter morning and the parish distributes the money to the poor. And I remember as a very little boy, Thomas's age, being told by my mom that I could not, was not allowed to buy a piece of bubble gum at the local Woolworths with the nickel I had earned. And instead, I had to save that nickel, put it back in my pocket. And when we got home, the mic box was where the nickel was bound for the poor. Now, thinking back on that event, I know the nickel that I, when I got home, put in the mic box was not given out of any sense of love. <laughs> the nickel was given because my mother made me. And I was not happy. In fact, I was mad because I wanted bubble gum and couldn't have it and had to put the stupid nickel in the stupid box. Remember in Dalton, Georgia, Father Don Kramer teaching us little children of the parish that it was our duty, the duty of every Christian to give alms to the poor. It is what God required of us. It was our obligation. And so all the way through my young life, from kindergarten to high school, my mom, Father Kramer, made us give every first dime of every dollar into the mite box. I had to give first to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked before I did what I wanted to with my money. Now the next real remembrance of giving came when I had to work my way through college. After tuition was paid, after rent was paid, the bill, all the bills were paid, sometimes, sometimes... I had some pocket money left over. And it was a joyous day when I had pocket money left over. I remember going to Mass early one Sunday morning in Starkville, Mississippi, with a wad of spending money in my pocket. And I began to get a gnawing feeling. I wanted to keep the money, to go out, to have some fun. But yet, something compelled me that morning to give that money to the church. Now, again, being completely honest, that feeling that morning in Starkville, Mississippi so long ago was not a feeling of love, not a feeling of thanksgiving. <laughs> Rather, it was the ingrained idea of the duty of every Christian. It was the image of Father Don Kramer pointing his finger, obligation. It was the image of my mother's evil eye. <laughs> it was the image of the poor. And so again and again and again, I gave the spending money in my pocket to the church out of duty and obligation. <laughs> the first time I remember ever giving money, practicing stewardship, as we call it, giving sacrificially out of what I can name as a feeling of love, was after Catherine and I married. Catherine and I made a conscious decision to give the first 10% of all we earn to God through the church out of love and in thanksgiving for God's blessings on our lives. For the first time ever, and in a concrete, intangible manner, we ordered our household by putting our love of God first. 
We do not give now out of a sense of duty or obligation, but as a real intangible showing of our love of God. We give now as thanksgiving. And getting to the point where we give out of love and thanksgiving instead of out of obligation and duty has made all the difference. It has deepened our relationship with God. It has given our house a peace that it had not known before. It has given us a bit more freedom from the worry over material things and our own well-being. In giving to God, we have received much more in return. Now, I could poke fun at the idea of duty and obligation. Father Kramer's finger-pointing, my mother's evil eye, is being lesser ideas of why we should give. But instead, I propose the idea that even though I did not know it or could not say it at the time, that duty and that obligation, they're very much a part of the idea of love, a part of love itself. Love on which, according to our Lord, the world is tethered. What is love then? Can we, in our own time, answer that question, what is love, with any degree of certainty? If you watch TV, if you read popular magazines and novellas, you might think love has everything to do with emotional feelings, how I feel, desire, lust, and the pursuit of hedonistic happiness, what makes me feel good. And in a good deal of my pastoral encounters, I know it's fair to say that many people do, in fact, feel that way. I have fallen out of love, it is said. I don't love of that person anymore. I don't feel it. Pretty common types of statements. And they point to the idea that emotional feeling has gone away, that a person no longer excites another person, or that a person has grown bored with who they are with. Now, love, as the Christian should understand it, hangs from the tree. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, says St. John. Love is the willingness and commitment to self-sacrifice for another. Love is putting the greater good of another before your own. Now, the perfect example of that love is found in Christ Jesus. And Jesus Christ, who gave his own life so that death would no longer be our final end. So then, the entirety of the world hangs, is tethered on the sacrifice of oneself for others, is hanged and tethered on putting the desires of others before our own, the needs of others before our own. And that is something in our own day, in our own age, worth thinking about. How and what do we sacrifice to God? Do we put the will of God, the desire of God before our own? For in the end, it all comes down to that very question. And that question emanates into every facet of our lives. Not only do we put God before ourselves, another question. Do we put our families and our friends and our community before ourselves? Do we put the needs of those around us before our own? (coughs) The entirety of the world hangs on love. The world is tethered, kept stationary, kept from drifting apart on love. Anchored by love. 
Love should be at the center of all our actions. Sacrificial love should be at the center of all our actions. Love is at the center, indeed, of all of God's actions. Love is sacrifice. So let us this day, my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, commit to living lives of sacrifice. Commit to living lives that are anchored, tethered by love. And in committing to that life of sacrifice, our lives will be forever changed and our eyes will be opened to all the blessings that flow from God and from his creation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.